everyone. I am April Michelle Davis, Executive Director of the National Association of Independent Writers and Editors. You can find us online at nawe.com. That's N-A-I-W-E.com. The National Association of Independent Writers and Editors is a professional association for writers and editors with a focus on career building enrichment. Your membership includes a professional website designed with you in mind, convenient training administered by fellow editors and writers who have experience in your field, a sounding board of experts who are truly interested in your success, and much more. There are marketing opportunities such as being featured on NAWI's social media pages, the Freelance Life podcast, and in The Edge, NAWI's monthly newsletter. You also receive discounts for professional development courses, software, and more. As a quick introduction to myself, I am a freelance editor, indexer, and proofreader, and I've been working in the publishing industry for more than 20 years. Today's episode is a member of the month episode, where we get to know one of our fellow NAWI members. If you are a member of the National Association of Independent Writers and Editors, and you would like to be interviewed on a future member of the month episode, send an email to editor at Our guest today is Ruth Toller Carter. Ruth E. I Can Write About Anything Toller Carter, NAWI's networking expert, provides writing, editing, proofreading, website critiques, and updates, and presentations to publications, associations, businesses, not-for-profit organizations, and individuals in diversity, decorative arts, cats, landscaping, gardening, education, facilities management, healthcare and wellness, communications, freelancing, business, law, public relations, marketing, and much more. Ruth is the author and publisher of Get Paid to Write, Getting Started as a Freelance Writer, and the short story, Sometimes You Save the Cat, and co-author of the 2020 editions of Freelancing 101, Launching Your Editorial Business, and Resumes for Freelancers for the Editorial Freelancers Association. She owns Communication Central, which she co-hosts the conference with NAWI, an annual conference for freelancers. A flair for writing, which helps aspiring authors get published, and the An American Editor blog. Ruth has received awards for her writing and editing skills, contributions to the Rochester, New York area literary community, and support for fellow freelancers. She is a popular presenter at conferences and in webinars about freelancing, websites, editing, and proofreading. Known as the queen of networking, Ruth is active in, the, in NAWI, the EFA, Cat Writers Association, Society of Professional Journalists, ACES, the Society for Editing, and several more. So stay tuned. I think you're going to enjoy learning about Ruth Toller Carter. All right, Ruth, so welcome to the show today. Thank you. So if you could please share a little bit about your professional history with our readers. Oh, my professional history. I started freelance writing back in high school. Um, initially, because I got turned down for the school literary magazine. So I started my own. 
And then I also started writing a column for one of the local weekly newspapers about goings on at the high school. When I got to college initially at university, uh, I'm sorry, Indiana University at Bloomington, and then the University of Missouri-St. Louis a while later, I worked on both college newspapers. I also started typing papers for other students, which was a huge help in maybe not learning editing skills, but certainly in fine tuning and reinforcing my grammar skills. Uh, what else? And then um, had several full-time jobs in communications before going freelance full-time because I kind of got burned out with the nine to five day-to-day -day routine, especially in my second job in DC because it involved having to drive to and from work it was a very minimal drive or commute compared to what a lot of people go through in that region, but it was still more than I wanted to do. And I have never regretted doing that. So over the years, I went full-time freelance in uh, beginning of 1984. And I have expanded my freelance business or independent business from doing almost entirely writing to writing, editing, proofreading, website work, speaking, and hosting our conference. I definitely understand about getting tired of that DC commute. I did that DC commute for about four years. And oh my. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I had and two years of going from the heart of the district as far as Bethesda for those in our audience who are familiar with the area. Getting there was no big deal, but coming back home was, it took three times as long to get home as it did to get to the office. And it, it just, it, I don't understand people who can do that day in and day out for a couple hours at a time in each direction. It's just inhuman. Yes, it was crazy. For me, I worked in Alexandria and it was a 25 mile commute, but it would take between one and two hours each way every day. Yep. And because I didn't know if it would be the one hour or the two hours, that means I had to plan for two hours each, each time I drove to and from the office. Yep. So four, hour, four, day, four years was enough for me. <laughs> and now I get to work from home and I love it. <laughs> I've never regretted it. I love being able to work at home. It was especially nice after my husband retired because we could literally spend 24 hours at a time together, which we both really enjoyed. Yes, I, I greatly enjoy it because, and now at where I live, my husband works from home too. So we both get to work from home. So that commute is, you know, just 45 seconds of going right. from each of our offices. <laughs> it's much nicer. Much, much better for your mental and physical health, or at least I think so. Yes, yes. You don't have to deal with the traffic and all that other stuff. Yeah. All right. So how and when did you make your business a reality? I thought about it for a couple of months as I got more and more burnt out where I, I was chief of uh, manager of communications at a trade association. And it was, I was thinking about it, but I didn't want to just jump out there with no cushion financially. So 
what I did, I was very active in what was then Washington Independent Writers and had gotten several freelance projects through the WIW Job Bank. And I was waiting and looking for something that would be ongoing rather than one article or even several articles, but not all that much income. And I was able to lock in two part-time on-site projects, more editing than writing, but some writing. And then I convinced my superiors at the trade association to convert the full-time job into a freelance contract, which was hugely helpful, especially the first year because this was a very small group and to keep their um, health insurance coverage, they needed a minimum number of employees. If I had just left, we would have been one person less than that minimum but they kept me on the health insurance. And so that was a benefit to both me and the, and the employer. And that gave me three sources of income that I could count on with the converted job being the bigger of the three. So I went out on my own with a very good solid base of repeat work and several past clients from the job bank that were more occasional, but I had that nice regular flow of both activity and income. And I think that made a huge difference. It, it meant I didn't have to, um, I didn't have to feel desperate about income. So I didn't have to accept projects that were not as well paying as I thought I deserved or that were more hassle than they were worth. And some of these other issues that come up for a lot of us as freelancers or independent writers and editors. So do you recommend that someone work in-house before they freelance full-time? Oh, absolutely. I think working in-house, and I realize that for a lot of people, that's harder and harder to do because the publishing world is contracting, especially in journalism, we're losing a lot of newspapers and print outlets. But if you possibly can, there is a huge value in working in-house. You learn about, of course, you learn about office politics, which I hate, but you learn how to work with people. Ideally, you learn a lot of the basics of the writing or editing activity from your colleagues. You should be learning a style guide of sorts, and you should be generating some new contacts among your work colleagues and maybe among members of an organization that they belong to, all of which means when you're ready to go out on your own, you know a lot more about what you're doing than you might have without that experience. And I, I see from some of the questions that people ask in our various forums, I can really see where that makes a difference. It makes people a lot more skilled and knowledgeable about what they're doing and how to do it. Yeah, for me, my four years in Alexandria, that's when I was working in-house for two separate companies. And I really thought that it opened my eyes as well, because rather than just seeing my specific role in the project, whether it be editing, I was able to see the entire process. And so that helped me to get the big picture view. 
Well, and you also, I know um, my last full-time job in St. Louis years ago was as the editor of a, an administration newsletter for Washington University. What I learned from that and from my newspaper job here, I was a staff reporter for one of the local weeklies for a couple of years. I met the people in production. I met the, met the people at the print shop, the, the printing press. And those guys were so helpful because they noticed, they paid attention to whatever job came into the shop. And if they noticed that you had done something or lost something or missed something, they didn't catch everything, but they would catch things that the rest of us might overlook. And they would let me know that this needed a little bit more attention or is this really what you wanted us to do and so forth. That was invaluable. And the people around me weren't writers, they weren't professional communicators, but they were very picky about what went out under the organization or publication name. And that was also helpful. That was like having my own editor, even though they weren't professional editors. So I learned a lot from that. And by being in-house, I think it gives you a certain legitimacy. And it also gives you connections with people who might become good sources or even clients in the future. And converting a full-time job to a, an independent contract is a really good way to get started as long as you structure it in such a way that you don't get taken advantage of. And that, that can happen very easily. How do you think having an in-house job compares to having a degree in publishing? Do you think that the in-house job can replace the degree? Yes, I do. I think a degree is useful. It's something I would look at as more to do either if you have no training and experience yet, if it will make you look better at your full-time job, it's definitely a good credential for establishing professionalism and showing that you've got some training and some skills. But I think the in-house work experience is probably more useful. And I did do a, a year, I got a Ford Fellowship at University of Missouri Columbia Journalism School years back. And it was fascinating because I learned more about some of the theory of communications that I had never been exposed to. But it was also a little impractical because the reporting class required following a beat. And you often had other classes scheduled for when there were events related to your beat. You had to choose between going to class and covering your beat. Well, in the real world, there ain't no choice. If there's a beat assignment, you do it. It doesn't matter what other things are going on in your life, you cover your beat. So I, I found that a little bit um, frustrating that you had to make choices between something that would be very clear cut in the work world and was less so in the academic world. The good thing about the current environment is that so many of those programs can be done online in our own time and you don't have to worry as much about those conflicts. 
I'm also thinking about the people who might be working in other fields currently, but are interested in getting in the publishing field. So do you recommend that they try to get an in-house job or do you recommend that they take classes to get the education? I would say if you're in a job that is not communications of some sort, that aiming for some kind of training through either a publishing degree program, they're usually certificate programs, not degrees, but through either a university-based publishing program or classes from some of our professional groups like NAWI and the EFA and Editors Canada and so forth. Um, do that while you still have the security of your regular job. Look for ways in the regular job though that you can do some of that editing or writing work because almost every organization has either a newsletter or a website, maybe a blog, maybe publishes books or, or a magazine or something. There are a lot of ways that you can create some writing or editing activity, even if you are not officially a writer or editor at your current job. So I would do both. I would, I would try to create those opportunities in-house and I would start taking some training through either a university or a professional association, because you're going to need that to you're, you're going to need that to convince people to hire you for writing and editing. And you mentioned that you had work lined up before you quit your your full time day job. Do you recommend that as well, even for people who may not have a job in the publishing field but are looking to freelance full time? I would do one of two things. I would, first of all, start saving now. You want to have a savings cushion because when you're desperate for money, clients can tell and you will either feel obligated or forced to take projects that don't pay well and that drive you crazy because you're desperate for money. If you have a savings cushion and if you can possibly find some kind of a starting freelance gig, then you have an income, you have a, a protection, you can pay your bills for a few months. It takes time to build up a successful freelance business. It doesn't happen overnight. And you need to keep that in mind and look for ways you can offset any desperation about money. Those are the two best ways to do it. For somebody who hasn't had any in-house editing or publishing experience, it becomes that much more important to have that savings stashed to cover some of your expenses while you get started. So you've been in the industry for a bit. So <laughs> what is the most important lesson that you've learned so far in your career? I would say it's a couple things. The first one is never give up. Never give up, never surrender. Um, that was my movie moment. And the other is to be diverse. Don't get locked into either one topic, one client, one project, even if it's profitable and ongoing. Um, you want to look for ways to have more than one either more than one skill or more than one outlet for the one skill you want to focus on. 
so that if one project either disappears or doesn't go well, you're not, again, you're not desperate. You've got something else that you can do next. And the third thing I think that a lot of us don't really do as good a job of as we should is that, and it, it actually relates to never give up, market yourself all the time. Don't get so immersed in one long-term demanding project that you forget to let the rest of the world know that you exist and you will be available for new clients or new projects at some point. And what, what are some good ways that you have found to be able to market yourself? Primarily in the first few years through my professional organization, starting with Washington Independent Writers, which I still miss, it no longer exists, but it was wonderful. And secondarily through nowadays, actually word of mouth. A lot of my newer clients or projects reach me because a colleague recommended me or a former client recommended me to somebody they know, which is very gratifying. And is a result of number one, I like to think doing excellent work. And number two, staying in touch with people in a non-invasive way, in a non-pestering way, to let former clients know that I'm available still, or I'm available again, or I have a new service or something like that, where they, they don't hear from me. I don't bug them daily, but they hear from me every so often to let me know, to let them know that I'm still around. And I've noticed, and one of our colleagues has said that every time she notifies her clients that she's going on vacation, all of a sudden she gets a raft of requests for work because they don't want to miss out while she's gone. I haven't tried that. I never tell people I'm on vacation. And nowadays it's when it's just me, I don't really go on vacation. But, um, but the idea that you just get in touch, even if it's just once a year to say Happy New Year, is a really good way to market yourself in terms of reminding people that you are there. Okay, and so what about networking? Where have you found some uh, good opportunities for that? Well, starting with NAWI, which I really like, um, because NAWI gives us a blog of our own within the association, it hosts a website for members. We do things like this particular interview. And I'm, of course, deeply indebted to April for partnering with me on the Be a Better Freelancer conference of the last year or two, and we hope this year. And that would be one of the current ones that I find the most valuable. The others would be Editorial Freelancers Association, which I've been in for years. I've published two booklets with them for which they pay. I've done a ton of webinars and, and at one point in-person workshops for them, which they also pay for. So I, I look for organizations where the colleagues are on similar levels as well as starting out and where the organization values what the members contribute whether it's voluntarily or with some kind of payment 
in, you know, in return for services. I've also been active in ACES, the Society for Copy Editing, and have written for their newsletter and spoken at many of their conferences. That's been useful more in terms of building my network of colleagues so that I have people in mind if I ever need to hand work off to somebody else. I'm very active in the Greater St. Louis Association of Black Journalists because my first newspaper job was on one of the Black Weeklies here. And uh, at one point, I was very, very active and made serious profit from the International Association of Business Communicators. I joined the DC chapter when I moved there years ago and ended up as the chapter newsletter editor, but also producing or editing on-site conference newsletters, writing for the International Magazine, and one year covering the International Conference for the on-site newsletter, the IABC Magazine, and three other communications newsletters, all for the same event, all of which paid. IABC also covered my conference expenses those times because I was there to cover the conference for them. So I got free trips to several other cities, including Toronto and London. So you, you never know where these things can take you. It was a lot of fun. It sounds like a lot of fun getting to visit those places. <laughs> yeah. So what are you, are you working on any personal writing projects at this time? At the moment, not personal in the sense of say memoirs or anything, but as some of you know, I own the An American Editor blog and I am trying to be better about writing posts there more often. Um, and I just started working with a new client where I get to attend events and follow trends or news in the St. Louis commercial real estate industry. And I publish with them at least once a week, which is especially fun because even virtually, I love attending events and I get to be at all of these organizational programs, write them up, meet the people who are there. Everybody's been very welcoming and glad to see me and, and you know, forwarding event and personnel and project information to me. So that's an ongoing regular writing assignment that I'm really enjoying. And one of these days, I'd like to write something again in the fiction realm about, about my cat. I haven't done any cat writing in a while, even though I'm still a member of the Cat Writers Association. Do you have any special projects that you'd like to tell us about? Give us a sneak preview of? Well, the big one is this year's Be a Better Freelancer Conference, which we are just starting to organize. Um, we are looking at a St. Louis hotel contract to make sure everything in that paperwork is what we want it to be. We are planning on a date of the, the, what is it, October 8th through 10th, 2021. If we cannot do it, if the health issues surrounding, ugh, I hate that phrase, if the health issues in terms of COVID and so forth, um, heaven forbid, get worse again and we can't do an in-person event, we will do it online. 
but I'm starting to look at topics and presenters and meal choices and all of the both fun and mundane aspects of putting together this year's conference. And that's probably going to take up most of my energy for the next couple of months. Wow, that sounds exciting to actually have an in-person conference again. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. Fingers are tightly crossed. So what are some ways for freelancers to participate in the Be a Better Freelancer conference? Well, obviously the first one is set aside, start setting aside a few bucks. I'm sure some of us have travel funds from last year that we didn't use. So I'm hoping that means more people will be likely to come in from out of town. Um, one of the things you can do if you have a specific interest in hearing a particular person or learning about a specific topic, you can contact us at conference at communication-central.com or at um, April, let people know if there's a NAWI conference email address, but yes. we're open to finding out what people want to hear and whom they want to hear. Yes, the NAWI email address is conference at NAWI.com. One of the cool things about the hotel that we're likely to be using this year, they do not have a minimum on guest rooms for the conference host. So if for some reason the cost of the hotel room is a little more than somebody wants to pay, you can stay with B&Bs or um, nearby cheaper hotel. There really isn't anything in walking distance, but if you're driving, that shouldn't be an issue or with friends, whatever. And it will not cost the conference host any penalties for so supposedly not enough guest rooms. So that's a bonus for attendees. The other way you can participate or be involved is once we have the information confirmed, even if it's just the date and place before we finalize the program, we would love it if colleagues would spread the word about meeting at this event. It looks like it will be the only in-person communications event this year. The only other one I know of that's still thinking about a hybrid in-person and online version is the Society for Professional Journalists. I think everybody else is going virtual only this year, if they're even doing something. Oh, exciting. I can't wait to see people actually in person yeah. <laughs> again. <laughs> All right. So and, and also, oh, before I forget, before I forget, not to be mercenary, but the other aspect, and again, this is something where April and Nawi have been invaluable, is that we will have sponsorships. So people who can't get here or who want to be here and maybe sell something or um, share some resources, we will have sponsorship opportunities and those will be posted at both the NAWI and Communication Central websites in the next couple of weeks. Yes, I know attendees love swag and that way you can also get out your, your company logo and, and tell people how you can assist them in their editing or their publishing efforts. Yep. All right, so Ruth, what are some of the teachers, books, or authors who have influenced you in your professional life in a positive way? Oh, there are several. I can't really name any authors because I read so much that I have a couple dozen favorites and, and I think they've all 
contributed. I, I suppose being taken to Shakespeare festivals for years and years when I was younger with my family would have been a more of an influence than I probably ever realized. But as far as teachers, I had an amazing sixth grade teacher who really knocked the essentials of grammar, usage, punctuation, and even spelling, which is the easiest to check, into us. And those were lessons that I still rely on now. And then I had a teacher in high school for an 11th grade critical reading and writing class, and then AP English in my senior year, who was amazing. She was she had, they both had very high expectations of us. They were both fairly strict. And my high school teacher was, she really made us feel or made me feel, number one, that I could write. Number two, that my instincts were really good about where I should focus and, and how I should approach a writing project. I think of her now and we won't say how many years later, but many years later. I, I literally think of her every time I write something. She taught me to outline my ideas before I actually craft a narrative. She helped me organize. She just, I can't even tell you how useful and helpful she was. And I started a scholarship at my high school last year in honor of both of those teachers because their impact was so important to me and now I, I am now learning a lot of my classmates felt the same way which is gratifying but probably the biggest influence was my parents because my parents were both voracious readers they read a lot of material that's much more demanding than anything i read for myself nowadays a lot of nonfiction, biography and so and history stuff but just the example of reading all the time, the example of loving to read and seeing the world through books, newspapers, magazines, making that a daily habit. I think you can't get anything better than that. Okay, Ruth, so you said that you have a lot of experience with writing, editing, and proofreading. So what advice would you offer to someone who is just beginning a career? Um, well, again, don't give up or don't give up easily. And make sure that you are, con first of all, make sure you learn the basic skills, which a lot of people seem to jump into without that kind of training, whether through classes or in-house or both. You see an awful lot of people nowadays in the online environment claiming to be writers or editors or proofreaders who don't know what the heck they're doing. And I think the edit, the, the self, the so-called editors and proofreaders who don't have any training or experience do more harm to other people than the writers do. Although, you know, if you publish something inaccurate, you're damaging everybody who reads it. But if you're pitching to if you're pitching services to people like independent or self-publishing authors and you don't know what you're doing they don't know if you're right or wrong and 
it's a, it, it becomes a very embarrassing situation when readers start critic criticizing the published work for basic language errors that a real editor or proofreader would have caught. So again, some kind of training and experience before you hang out your shingle. Most places have writer's centers or local colleges and universities that offer writing classes and writing groups. A lot of bookstores have writer's groups and a lot of um, even high school continuing ed programs or library professional development programs often include writing or editing or proofreading as one of their topics. So you can find those kinds of resources and really should take advantage of them before going out there and calling yourself a writer or editor or proofreader. And then again, once you get started, look for ways to network and learn from and give back to colleagues. Look for ways to maybe sharpen your skills by doing some volunteer communications work with a nonprofit or a charity that you believe in. And don't get yourself locked into either super cheapo clients or very low paying services. There are a lot of entities out there that promise to provide ongoing writing or editing or proofreading work and probably other types of communications projects as well, but do so at really ridiculously low rates. When you're starting out, you can't charge the top of a range, but that doesn't mean you have to work for pennies on the hour. So make sure you, you do some research with some of the professional groups so you can learn a little more about the business of freelancing and the kinds of resources that you can learn from. Most of our professional groups offer classes that you can take even if you're not yet a member. So look for those resources before you call yourself a writer or editor or proofreader and definitely before you offer those services to anybody. Hey Ruth, let's talk about something a little bit fun. <laughs> oh good. <laughs> so what well, inspires you? Well, a couple of things. Um, the memory of the pride that my parents and my late husband had in what I do and how I do it. Um, one of the best moments of my life was being at a dinner party with my parents and some old family friends. Somebody asked me what I was doing at the time and before I could even open my mouth, and those who know me know that I opened my mouth very quickly, my dad said, she's a freelance writer and we're really proud of her. In front of you know a whole room full of people, some of whom had known me my entire life. It was, I mean, it, it was years ago, it still can make me feel good. And, um, the people I work with, the clients and the organizations that I work with, some of them are more, oh, their topics might be more mundane than others, but just the fact that I get to work on things for this really wide variety of organizations and people, I think is 
part of what inspires me. And of course, the knowledge that, you know, finish a project, I get money, I can play and shop and spend and so forth. And then I think also on less of a conscious level, but my parents, grandparents, aunt and uncle were Holocaust survivors. They went through a lot for me to even exist. And I try to remind myself of that because it feels like something that inspires me to keep going. If things get challenging in my life, I remember not just that they would back me up, but that they went through much worse. And, uh, and, and I kind of owe it to them to keep going. All right. And circling back to the uh, NAWI Association, how has your membership in NAWI benefited you professionally? Two things. Um, it means I've connected to new colleagues whom I hadn't met through my other groups or activities. And I'm sort of the poster child for extroverts, as a lot of you know. So I really like the opportunity to meet and interact with colleagues and learn from each other, especially if I can be of help. And of course, having Nawi as the co-host of the Be a Better Freelancer Conference, that has taken quite a bit of pressure off of me as the only person involved with the event and um, just makes it a lot, it gives, it gives me a little more time during the event to enjoy it instead of running around like a crazy person dealing with the hotel the whole time and not really interacting with colleagues during the event. And there also have been um, you know, the opportunity to have a NAWI blog, which I really should contribute to more often. I will try to be better April <laughs> about doing that. But, but those would be the two main things, interaction with new colleagues and conference backup. All right, Ruth. So finally, before we close out, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners today? Well, that it is still possible to have a successful, profitable, self-sustaining career as an independent writer or editor. It takes work. It isn't easy, but it is, it is doable if you learn to value your work, provide good work, keep going, and make sure that you insist on being treated on a level that's appropriate to what you can do. I've been doing this for many, many years now. I'm never bored. I get a little bit tired of certain topics. I get a little annoyed at sloppy authors when I'm in the editing or proofreading mode, but I essentially never get bored by what I do. I'm always learning something new, even if it's just a new word or a, a new take on a phrase of some sort. And even now that it's just me and the cat, I have a life I really enjoy because I created it for myself. I think that's something we can all aspire to. And I hope it's something that we all achieve. And I wish everybody the best of luck in their independent writing and editing activities. I hope you'll all show up for the conference. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. That would be my main point. <laughs> 
show up for the conference. <laughs> yes, in person, in person. That should be an attraction right there. Yes, yes. I mean, it's gonna be in St. Louis. There's the arch, there's the Ferris wheel. There's a brand new aquarium, which I just went to last week. It's gorgeous. What else is there? There's uh, Forest Park. There's a fantastic zoo, art museum, historical society, photography museum, all kinds of good stuff. Yes, when I was there two years ago and I brought my family, they had a lot of fun while I was at the conference. And, and even we made it a whole road trip so that we did things on the way to St. Louis and on the way home. And also before I forget, um, the one of the other things about the conference hotel this year, they have rooms with two double beds and they have really nice suites with a king size sleeping room a king size bed for the sleeping room and a living room with kind of an l-shaped sofa so they have two styles of rooms that are very shareable so again anybody who's watching their pennies for travel um you might be able to we can we can try to connect you with somebody to share a room and st louis is a hub for southwest airlines which usually has really good rates, assuming one can travel safely again. So you might want to keep that in mind. Oh, good. The sharing of the rooms, that sounds attractive yeah. to help save some money there. Yeah. And it's a, the hotel is located in the loop section of University City. So there are tons of shops and restaurants within about a oh, one to five block radius of the hotel. So there's lots to do in between sessions or in the evenings or for anybody who might come with you if you do a road trip of some sort. <laughs> All right, great. But I think that's about it. Thank you, Ruth, for talking with me today. It was nice for our listeners to hear how you entered your, your freelance career and how you've been pursuing it in these years. For those listeners who want more information about Ruth Toller Carter, I would like to, or would like to connect with her, you can find her profile online at the Navy member website. Her website is ruthtollercarter.navy.com. That's R U T H. T-H-A-L-E-R-C-A-R-T-E-R dot Navy dot com. Ruth, I'm sure that our listeners have appreciated hearing your story and about your interests as much as I have today. I know that our audience will be able to take away a lot of great information. So thank you so much for your time today.